Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. So we're, we're just working through our, um, our vision as a church. And one of the things I wanted to say, I wanted to say a couple of things about what, you know, what is vision. Because it can sound a bit like business talk, you know, what's the most organisations now or companies or businesses have a vision of some sort. Um, biblically, it's kind of a, it's a different idea, a very different idea. Um, and we'll find in Proverbs 29, verse 18, you haven't got to turn there, but um, <clears throat> just to give you a, a sense of it, it says, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. The inference being that where there is prophetic vision, that it, it pulls people together into a common cause. And prophetic vision really just means a sense in what pro- prophecy is when you hear from God. So it's what God speaks that creates a sense of giving us something to, something to look for in the future. So because of what God has spoken to us, you go, oh, wow, we, we know what we're running for. Now, in one, in one sense, every church has the same vision, what God has said in, in, in the Bible. We've looked at that o- o- over the weeks, that whichever illustration you want to use, let's go for bride for the moment because it's very inspiring, that, that the father has sent his son, Jesus, who laid his life down for his, for his beloved. Um, and now us together, as his, as his blood-purchased blood purchased bride, the church is the bride of Christ. And one day um, there's going to be this coming together, which will put every other marriage in the shade. Um, this, 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 every other marriage on earth points to it, a consummation, a coming together of Christ and his bride that will be like the climax of the whole of history. And so there's a vision there where you, as the church, you go, wow, I want to purify myself. I want to be devoted to Christ because we're going to marry him one day, you see. So the vision of that coming together changes the way that you live, changes the decisions that you make in the day to day because there's a vision of something glorious in the future. And so that would be one example of of the vision that every church that believes the Bible has got, because it's in Scripture. But not only that, God also speaks prophetically to each individual congregation and says that this is, here are some, some of the things you're going to do specifically in the grand purposes of God. These are going to be things that are specific for you as a congregation. We've looked at the whole 300 big people thing. We've looked at resourcing the wider church. Today we're going to look at planting churches postcode by postcode throughout north london north central london um but i want what i want us to look at it in two strands and then we're going to look at a story in the bible where those two strands come together and um the first really here is 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 what we might call uh, to do with the city in the bible there are loads and loads of threads and themes that go through it and one of them is this whole idea of cities and you might say that in the bible there's a tale of two cities um, right near the start, you've got this city called Babel, where they build a tower, and the whole idea is to make a big reputation for themselves, to reach heaven, and God comes down and God judges what they're doing, and actually, you know, mixes up all the languages, and the work stops, and there's a scattering that takes place as a result. Why? Because they were coming together, but with no reference to their creator at all. It was all about building our reputation. We can, we can reach our, our potential without the one who made us, and without the one who sustains us with every breath. We can do our own thing. And it's the first real picture of a, of a city, of a coming together. And Babel, of course, is where we get our word Babylon. It's the same place. 
And Babylon, Babylon is, is, is a very real city uh, in Bible times, one of the superpowers of the day. Um, but it, it takes on a, an identity that goes beyond that. It becomes a spiritual identity. It's the city and it, it represents kind of um, luxurious living, but with no kind of, it, kind of seductive, corrupted, luxurious living. And it's personified as a prostitute. So you'll find that. So I'll just give an example. When we get right near the end of the Bible, in the, in the book of Revelation, chapter 18. I'll read you a few, a few verses. These aren't going to be the main scriptures we're in today, but I wanted to just give you a, a, sense of, a sense of some of these things. It says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and, and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And it goes on and it depicts Babylon as a prostitute. Um, that's, that's the depiction. She's this kind of... Um, High class prostitute, if you like. She's dressed in this amazing clothes. She's a she oozes lust and she corrupts and seduces all of the powers of the earth with her with, with the glitz, with the lights, with, with the glamour. So it's a powerful idea, and it's one of the ways that the Bible understands the city. That it's a place where there's a concentration of people, a concentration of um, desire. A concentration of lust, a concentration of promise, all kinds of things you can have in the life of the city, which those of us uh, who are based here in London will be very, very familiar with. There's a dark side to the city. But like I said, it's a tale of two cities. There's another city in the Bible, Jerusalem. And Jerusalem makes an appearance later on after, after Babel, but it, it grows and grows in its significance Whereby by the end of the Bible, we read in Revelation chapter 21, it says that, I mean, how starkly different is this? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So you've got a prostitute and you've got a bride. That's the stark difference you've got this kind of idea of kind of wanton kind of um wanton kind of seductive corrupting a corrupting beauty if you like and then in Jerusalem it's this idea it's a beauty but there's a there's a purity about it there's a, it's devout there's a holiness about it. it's a very very different kind of idea and so you have this tale of two cities it's one of the ways you understand um the biblical narrative the story of salvation if you like. And so in that, and, and we see this a bride, or who else is the bride? Well, the church. And so you see that somehow the new Jerusalem represents the church. And so the church is a city, but it indwells another city, a city full of corruption and lust and whatever else. And so in that sense, we are a city within a city. Whether you live in a village or a town, if you're a believer, part of a church, you're a city within a city. But when you live in London, it takes them very vivid powerful imagery you can see it all around you the concentration of of creativity the concentration of amazing things but also the concentration of difficulty of sin of darkness the things that go on in a concentrated way the crime levels in a city are way higher the population density and so it's a really powerful and important image for us to live with and be aware of um, as we think about 
um, the idea of the city today. But then the second thing I want us to look at, and like I said, we're going to bring it all together in one story in a moment, is the heart, is our heart. Um, And just to, to meditate for a moment on when you're born again, you get given a new heart. It's an amazing miracle. You, if you're here today as someone who's just visiting, you're not a born-again Christian, you would have seen and heard extraordinary things over the last hour. An excitement that is probably quite mystifying to you. A passion for Jesus. Maybe even some of the way people were demonstrating their passion. You maybe think, I've not seen anything like this since I was at a gig or since a football match. Or you think, what, what, what is this? There's an excitement in the room. What is that? Well, when you come to know Jesus, something miraculous happens on the inside. You're given a new heart. And with that is the awareness that you've been forgiven of your sins and you're now right with God. That's extraordinary. Because built within us is a kind of a fear, a wrong fear of God, a kind of I don't want to know about God or be in his presence because I know from what I've heard or read he's holy, he's righteous, I know that I'm not. How, how, would I ever, how would I ever stand in his presence without pretending? And none of us want to pretend, right? But because of the work of Jesus on the cross where he actually took all of the stuff that keeps us from God onto himself, We can be in the presence of God as we are, authentically, but know that we're right because we're in Christ. Now that makes makes us really excited. (laughs) Uh, It's it's thrilling. But what comes with it is a desire for others to know the same thing. Now, culturally, that puts us in a bit of a tricky spot. Because we live in a culture that says, just live and let live. Don't try and get other people to believe what you believe. Now that's a dilemma right there if you're born again. Because you're going, but I don't think you realise what I've discovered. I, I know God. You see, it's ever so important that we, we don't fall into that thing where we start thinking that what we've experienced is really just a psychological experience. The same as what other people experience, but under different names. That is not biblical truth. Biblical truth is that we have been made right with God through the work of Jesus Christ. So Jesus isn't just my truth, your truth, he's the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Regardless of what else is making them feel good, or feel nice, or feel spiritual, no one comes to the Father. There's there's a historical objectivity to it that we enter into, and it changes who we are on the inside. But it's not primarily something that is subjective. It's an objective, it's a gospel. It's the gospel of God. It's the message of new life. As you enter into that through faith, everything changes. And that's what we proclaim. That's the truth. Now, you see, so in our, in our, our, and our new heart beats with compassion for those who don't yet know Jesus. Why? Because we used to not know Jesus. And we know what it was like. And so it beats with God's heart, which is to draw people to himself. Now, that's tricky. Like I say, if you live in a culture that says, don't do that. That says if you do that, you're being bigoted or you're being arrogant or you're being proud and you're thinking, I don't think I am. <laughs> but I, I, I re- it really matters to me that other people hear this message and have a chance to accept it. So they can be right with God and know what it is to escape judgment and receive eternal life. Objective gospel truth. so important that we hold this, that we fight for this, that we, this is what we're living in. So you've got the city and you've got the heart. Now, let's get into the vision to try and bring these two things um, together. 2015, um, the elder said to me, have a month to just pray and seek God 
about where you know what you, what you think God is speaking to us in terms of something we should be focusing on. On day one, I think it was after a snooze. You always have a snooze. If you've ever had a month to pray and seek God, start with a snooze on day one. You'll need it for day one or day two or day three. You need a snooze, right? So I had a snooze. I hadn't done any praying. I had a snooze. Woke, woke up and I, I could just, just immediately, I just sensed God speak to me. If I'd done any praying, just the grace of God as we've been hearing about this morning. Um, my heart was to hear God. I had a snooze. He spoke to me. Hallelujah. <laughs> Isn't it great? Isn't it great? And, um, uh, and the idea, it was about this, this idea that where God has put us here, that it's, it was never just for Camden or just for Islington. It was never that from the start. It was always, our first website said, Making Christ Known in North Central London. And I just felt God speak to me in, just in terms of what's North Central London. Well, imagine the North Circular Road, everything, everything inside that. Plant churches there. And we just felt stirred by this idea of, wouldn't it be great if we could plant a church into every postcode over this next season? There's about 35 postcodes within that area. And we've been running with that ever since and praying for that um, ever since. But I want to bring together these, um, these themes of, of city and heart in the story of Jonah. So let's get a, let's, can we get our map up, please, um, Rosa? You know the story of jo- Everyone knows the story of Jonah, even if you don't. It's one of the stories you think you know, even when you don't. You'll know bits about it. What bit do you know about Jonah? The, the whale. There you go, right? Now, look, Jonah, okay, so, <laughs> so Jonah's, we don't know. So Jonah starts the story down here, in, um, near, close to Joppa. God says go to Nineveh, which is over there on the far right. Jonah says, no thanks. So he heads to Tarshish, which is in southern Spain, over there. Right? That's the, that's, I'm not making that up. I didn't create this map. That's literally what Jonah was like, no way. I'm not doing that. And we find out later why. Some people say, oh, Jonah was scared. He wasn't scared. He wasn't scared. That's not why Jonah didn't go. He said, I'm going that way. So he heads that way, and at some point in the Mediterranean, we have this uh, wiggly line where the storm, the storm kicks in. Jonah's asleep in the hold. Because sometimes when we're doing the wrong thing, we, can do, we do different things to escape it. One of them's sleeping. There's good sleeping, and there's bad sleeping. Am I right? You just think, oh, no. So he's asleep in the hold. The storm kicks off. And the men in the boat, you know, in, in, they all worship different gods back then, you know. But there was, you wouldn't worship, you know, the god of everything. It was the god of this or the god of that. And they're like, like what's going on? You know, who's upset their god was the kind of vibe. And they, they find Jonah asleep and they'll bring him up. And they, he says, basically, I mean, imagine this. You know, you serve, you serve the god of silver. So what a god do you serve? He says, I serve the god of heaven and earth. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> We're done for. And, oh, yeah, and, I'm, and I'm running away from him. That's basically what it says. Um, we're going to read um, the text in a moment, chapter 4. So, um, so they said, what are we going to do? He says, they, he says, throw me over, and then the storm will stop. He said, no, we don't say they try and row to land. They're good guys. He's done it. Nothing. It just gets worse. So he said, no, just throw me over. So throw him over. God speaks to it. Immediately calms. Um, and then they start worshipping God. So even in our stupidity as believers... God used it evangelistically to win a whole shipload of people to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? So anyway, but he, so, so Jonas, he's sinking and he's sinking. And, um, um, uh, and then God speaks to a huge fish, swallows him. I believe this is, li- I believe this is literally true. Okay? So I just want to say that in case you think this is, this is dumb. It's supernatural. 
Okay, it's supernatural. And I totally believe this. Jonah, Jonah is in the fish for three days where he prays, really meets with God, repents. And then God commands the fish, after commanding to swallow Jonah, commands uh, the fish to, to vomit him up on the beach. And then Jonah says, I better go to Nineveh. <laughs> so he goes to Nineveh. He preaches repentance. Now, this is really important to understand. To preach repentance means you're telling people you've got to change your ways. Now, again, some people don't like that. We're, the church has got a bit allergic to that sort of behavior. Um, repentance opens the door to all of the gospel blessings. Repentance isn't, some, isn't like something you do to earn your forgiveness. Repentance is part of you saying, I wanna t- I'm turning towards you, God, in faith. That means you're turning away from the way you did live. I'm turning, I'm turning away from these old ways. So I want to turn towards God. That's what repentance means. It means you're doing a U-turn. You're saying, no, Lord, I want to. Oh, so it's not, it's not something that you can be, oh, I, I repented. No, no, no. Your repentance is part of putting your faith in God. You're saying, oh, I'm looking to you now, Lord. I've blown it. I've messed it up. I'm, you know, I want to look to you now. So you totally give yourself to him. And repentance unlocks the whole thing. Because when you repent, you're basically saying, I got it wrong. God says, phew, now, now we can forgive you. Whereas when you're insisting you've got everything right and you're not saying sorry for your sin, obviously God's not going to be able to forgive you. Why? Well, because you've not even admitted you've done anything wrong. That's not how forgiveness works. Forgiveness works when someone says, I'm sorry. You need to really, really understand that. Even on human levels, I can't fully forgive you until you repent and say sorry to me. I, I, can, I can not let my heart get bitter and before God, yeah, I'm going to release that person. But the whole forgiveness dynamic can't be fully worked through and completed properly until there's a sorry. Then there can be forgiveness, reparation, reconciliation. Same with God. So, so he repents. He heads to Nineveh and he preaches to them to repent. He says, uh, 40 days, I'm gonna, uh, this city is going to be destroyed. Everyone repents. The king even makes the animals wear sackcloth. I'm not joking. Did you know this? Jonah's probably the most animal-friendly book in the whole Bible. You've got a whale, you've got the cattle, and then you've got a snail, which is going to be great. I mean, I think it's a snail or a worm or something. So Jonah 4, let's go, Jonah 4. So this is brilliant. What's this got to do with church planting in London? Everything. The city and the heart. So I want you to remember. The what and the what? The and. Okay. So, last verse of chapter 3. When God saw what they did, i.e. repent, literally the beasts, even the beasts, have been covered in sackcloth at the command of the king. How, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. Right, here we go. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. Jonah wasn't afraid of preaching in Nineveh. What he didn't want to happen was this. Why? Because he didn't have a heart for the city. Didn't care about the city. Okay. And Nineveh was like the, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and it was famous for its evil. I mean, I won't go into the things they, they would do to their enemies, because it's horrifying. But it was famous for, the, for its violence. It's a vile, vile place. And um, Jonah, you know, as a, as a Jew, would have, would have hated it. Um, there is enemies. There is enemies, whether you want to, in whatever way you want to frame it, as a nationalistic thing or a race thing or whatever, however you want to frame it, he hated them. Didn't want them to receive mercy. So he's really, really annoyed. 
And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, isn't this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Spain, to Tarshish. For I know you are gracious to God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. Because you've shown mercy on these people I hate, I want to die. Isn't it amazing? The, the, the people that God will use. When God uses, calls and uses someone, it doesn't mean they're a good person. All right? It's just the, it's just the, the calling and the, the purpose of God. What a wicked heart. I mean, he was so torn up about it that not only are they receiving mercy, but they're receiving mercy because I came here and preached. I'm to blame. Take my life. God says to him, do you have reason to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city with that question ringing in his ears. Sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. There you go, not a snail, sorry, my bad. God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, for, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pitied the plant. You loved that little plant for which you didn't labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. What a great way to end the end book in the Bible. And also much cattle. All you animal lovers out there, you're having a great time this morning, aren't you? Whales, worms, cattle. It's an amazing bit of reasoning. He says to Jonah, he says, look, you, you, you fell in love with this silly little plant. That I gave you for 24 hours. Didn't do anything to nurture it. It just was there. And that you're, all, you're all upset now because the plant's gone. Isn't it amazing how petty we can get? The things we can get attached to. Whilst we really have very little compassion for the brokenness around us. We've got to be honest, haven't we? It can happen really easily. You can be so caught up in our own little world. I've got this plant. It's not wrong. But your heart can get so attached to things. And there's a whole load of destruction around us. Ruined lives. Brokenness. And we just, you know, oh yeah, but I've got this thing. It's a challenge to us, this story. Because we see ourselves in Jonah. We see our selfishness. We see that we get so easily caught up with our little, our little worlds. It's so easy for all of us. I think if any of us said that wasn't the case, we might need to reflect a bit more deeply. He doesn't, Jonah doesn't really care about the city. He hasn't got a heart for the city. And here's the amazing thing. God does. He really cares. He says, I actually care about Nineveh. I've seen, I've seen all, the, all that they do. It, it's way more offensive to God than it was to Jonah. The evil. God's way more offended by evil than any of us are. And yet somehow the Bible says where, the, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. It's not that God is compromised. He's never compromised. But his love is so much that it overtakes his wrath overtakes it and he moves towards people in compassion and he sent this this selfish old guy Jonah there just just get the words out why because I know that they get their hearts are going to turn and we're going to show mercy and where it says that they don't know their right hand from their left it probably means if you read the commentaries that they they 
They, 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 they are spiritually, morally ignorant. Like they do stuff, but they don't, they don't know what they're doing. Does that remind you of a quote anywhere else in the Bible? Jesus on the cross. Forgive them, Father. I don't know what they're doing. Like they need forgiveness because they're morally culpable. All of us are. But there's also this ignorance that rests on us through sin. We don't know what we're doing. Forgive them, oh Lord. It's incredible. Amazing mercy. An amazing compassion that we see here in the heart of God. It's the glorious and it's a beautiful thing. He even cares about the animals. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. Just hearing about some of the stuff with the Ukrainian refugees this week. And it just made a point in one of the articles that a certain country, I can't remember, maybe it was Poland, said that they're allowing them to bring their pets through as well. It's just an interesting little moment reading it. It's very compassionate. There's just a, there's a compassion you know, in these things that moves the heart of God. And when we think about planting, planting churches all around London, well, really what we're doing is we're saying we want people to come to know Jesus like we did. And we want them to be connected in to a, a, a loving spiritual community like this. We don't want them to be off trying to figure it out by themselves. We want them to be connected with brothers and sisters. We want them to be around a, 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 a diversely gifted community we want, we want them to understand what it is to be part of a church and we want them to be able to do life with people in their church they haven't got to travel for ages to just come to somewhere on a Sunday you know we want them to be able to want to build communities here and here and here so people can really do life together and reach one another and really be in and, in and out as much as possible as much as you know we can sort of grow into by God's grace and we're all a little bit different in that front but there's a, there's a, there's a, a bottom line value of no we want to care about one another fellowship and open our homes and so that's why we're planting churches we don't want to complicate it <laughs> and um, you know we, want, we, we maybe maybe some of you here you know you will be here for a while with us but god will stir your heart say so it'll just put somewhere on your heart in that you think no i want to go and want to go and plant something there maybe you live there already and you, god's given you a heart for it that's beautiful care about your street care about your neighbors Ask God to make your heart bigger. It's really, really important. As I was just preparing this morning, you know, I just, I did think it was really, really important to just maybe think two more things by way of ending. The first is, is that 800 years after Jonah, Jesus longed to gather another city under his wings, Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed like a mother hen to gather you under but you wouldn't have it and they rejected him didn't they he, he loved the city but the city rejected they rejected their messiah they asked for him to be crucified he was cast out of the city he was rejected by the city and then he says this wonderful thing similar to what the father says in jonah forgiven father they don't know what they're doing and it's awful but actually also the bible says that god predetermined all of that God's, God predestined all of it so that the cross would happen, so that, so that the message of salvation and forgiveness could go out to all nations, which is what it's doing now. And if there's anyone here, you just, you've never known this, what, you've never known for real in your own heart, this Jesus personally. You might have had a Christian upbringing, but you've never known that to, to be born again. It's a real thing. 
You might say, well, how, how, do, I, how do I do that? Well, really, the, the Bible gives a quite a simple sort of response to, to that question. It says things, like, um, it says things like, repent of your sins, put your faith in Jesus. It's not, you think, well, surely there's more to it than that. There's so much more to it than that. But all of, all of the heavy lifting Jesus did on the cross. Okay? And then there's a whole load of other stuff which you will grow into and learn about as a disciple. Yeah, absolutely. Of course there will be, yeah, because it's, it's a whole new lifestyle, yeah. Baptism and just what does it look like to honour God with my, my time and my relationships, with my money? All of, yes, all of that. But actually, to come to know God through Christ is, 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 happens in a moment of just, you're born again. Oh, I'm a new, you're a new creation. Through putting your trust, say, Jesus, I want to live for you now. I want to turn away from my sins and I want to follow you. And I want to appeal to you. If you're here today and you've never done that, the door has been opened. Through the work of Jesus on the cross, the door has been opened. Come to him. Maybe you're here and you think, I don't know if I have, I don't know if I haven't. Well, make it, make it, make the clear step today. Make the clear step. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So if you literally, at the end of this service, just take the name of Jesus on your lips, say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to know you. He will hear you. He will come to you by his spirit. You will know you're not the same person. Okay? And then we can disciple you and teach you about baptism and all of that. But it's just, it starts in that moment where you call on the name of Jesus and he hears your cry. And then the second thing is just shortly after that, there's another storm on the Mediterranean. And this time it's Paul on his way to another city, Rome. But the, the reason why Paul's on that boat is not because he's running away from God, but because he's banging in the middle of the purposes of God. The point being, a storm doesn't always mean you're, you're in the wrong place. So for Jonah, it was a, it was a, it was a sign. So, so all is not well. Actually, Paul, they're, they're shipwrecked. Praise God, everyone survives, but they're totally shipwrecked on Malta, which probably Abby could show us where that is. Is that just under Sicily there, Abby? Yeah, okay, so you've got the boot there, which says Rome, that's Italy, and the big island that is kicking is called Sicily, and then just under the point of Sicily there is Mortis, where Paul was shipwrecked. You can read about that in Acts 28. It was hard. It was really scary, but he was bang in the center of God's will. And really just to end by saying, you know, to all of us that are following the Lord, there will be storms. There will be turmoil. doesn't mean you've done something wrong. <laughs> Sometimes it's God saying, hey, wake up. But you mustn't never jump to that conclusion. Sometimes you just hit a storm. Sometimes it is spiritual warfare, opposition. Sometimes it's just the stuff of life. But I do want to encourage us as we, as a church, own. We've owned this vision so well. The guys from Tottenham will be with us next week. They are our first, our first church plant, our first expression of this dream, this vision that we're living with. I also personally consider the church in Bassett Street where the Ellis's and the Allens and Ruth went to join as another one of our plants. In my own heart, you know, that you've, you've sent a core crack squad team there to help plant something in Queen's Crescent. So, you know, I'm, I, I, I consider that to be a part of this vision too. But there's other things bubbling away. There are other little whispers that are, uh, that are happening. And... Um, want to just say, keep your ear to the ground. Because one way or the other, if you're part of Rev, you may go to be part of that, but if not, we're going to own it in our heart, aren't we? God's graced us to own it. God's graced us to invest. God's graced us to pray. 
God's graced us to give. God's graced us to be able to say, yeah, we can absorb that. Our heart has been made big enough. Amen? Amen. All right, great. Well, it's... Um, it's 10 past 12. I'd love us to be able to respond in some way, which I'll give that over to you. But remember, those, those of you who today, when I spoke about coming to know Jesus, you just knew in your heart, this is for me. Call on his name during this response. With your lips, say, Jesus, save me. Watch what he does.